your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. And just like that, another Nova Cat is in the building. What's up, guys? It's EJ Stewart joined by Tommy Beer. You are listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast and Odyssey WFAN original. Again, myself, Tommy Beer, coming at you. Great show we got today. We'll be talking about Ryan Archidiakono returning to the New York Knicks. This is a guy that got traded uh, midseason in the Josh Hart trade. The Knicks can't get enough of those Wildcats, so he is now back in the fold with the Knicks, and we'll talk about what that means. We'll also uh, get you on the latest episode of Keeping Up with the Knickerbockers, and we have what I've been calling a sort of Knicks wedding because he had a former Nick um, get married this past weekend, and a lot of former Knicks were in attendance as well. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some of the stuff we are seeing regarding some of these guys and their workout plans for this offseason. So we'll break that down. And finally, I thought a very interesting conversation as you guys know, we're we're big Knicks historians on this uh, podcast, and uh, Team EJ, who when we did our 100th episode, drafted Tyson Chandler. Well, uh, my my newly minted uh, starting center had a lot to say about his time with the Knicks, and the, particularly the 2013 season, where the Knicks fell short after winning 54 games of recent Eastern Conference Finals. He has a very interesting reason as to why he believes that happened. So we'll talk about all that and more right after this. So, as I said, my guy, Tommy Beer, joins me as always. And, Tommy, another day, another Villanova Wildcat joins the fold. Yes, the uh, the new Nova Knicks or Nova New York, new, however you want to phrase it, I'm Nova, sure. Nova New York. Some, something like that. They, I think they're up to like 13, 15% of uh, the, the, the Nova starting lineup from uh, 2018 or, you know, the eight-man rotation. They got half yeah. of them um but uh yeah not shocking as we'll get into it um and um we'll talk a little bit about the reasons why it makes some sense especially when it's the 15th guy in the roster at a minimal contract there you go yeah so again this is orange and blue buds and your Knicks podcast and odyssey wf and original it's a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts including the free odyssey app make sure you get the auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time you drop also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. Um, you can follow us on the WFAN channel to get the full episodes and shorts from this episodes on YouTube. And wherever you watch us, make sure you give us a comment. Make sure you like. Make sure you uh, you uh, you give us a rating as well so we can get some feedback on, on, on how you're enjoying the show. But let's begin now talking about Ryan Archie Diakono's return to the Knicks. So um, this weekend, the Knicks announced that they were bringing back Ryan Archidiakono, he's been signed by the team. The reserve guard had joined the Knicks last season, but was included in a trade to Portland that netted uh, Knicks, the, the Knicks uh, forward Josh Hart. So Archie Diakono, who was on the team last year, uh, was traded to Portland, then was a free agent, now back with the Knicks. Last season, he was essentially relegated to mop-up duty. Uh, he was basically playing in only Nick blowouts. He averaged just 2.4 minutes a game in the 11 games that he played with the Knicks. He averaged less than a point a game. And uh, the, the minutes that he played. But uh, according to SNY's Ian Bagley, the Knicks had actually valued Archie Diakono's role in the team. Tibbs uh, was a big fan of Ryan Archie Diakono, so much so that the team was actually reluctant to include him in the Josh Hart trade, but realized they had no choice uh, to in order to fulfill the salary cap requirements needed to make that deal. But the Knicks apparently did not want to include Ryan Archie Diakono in that move. So Arch is the fourth Villanova Wildcat on the Knicks roster. So you got Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, and newly signed Nick Dante DiVincenzo joining Arch Diakono as the fourth uh, Villanova Wildcat on the Knicks. Uh, following the signing, which I thought was interesting, you had Josh Hart, who's always uh, having fun on Twitter. He tweeted, yo, Mikael Bridges, hit my phone. Want to run something by you real quick? Of course, Mikael Bridges, who stars for the Brooklyn Nets, plays across town. Also, of course, played at Villanova and recently played alongside Brunson and Hart for Team USA at the FIBA World Cup. So Josh Hart, always quick to troll, but it is interesting. <laughs> He's putting that tweet out there immediately after uh, Villanova Wildcat joins the Knicks yet again. This time, a guy who was on the team who they brought back, even though he was, again, as Tommy mentioned, essentially a 15th man 
on the roster. So, um, Tommy, are you surprised that the Knicks brought back Arch given his extremely limited role, at least on-court role with the team? Yeah, I think that's the key there is on-court role, EJ. Um, you know, when you're talking about a 15th guy in the roster, there's a calculus there that coaches and GMs that, that they have to kind of figure out. Uh, you don't necessarily want the most talented player who thinks he's deserving of 15 minutes a game or starting. There are plenty of 15th men in the NBA that are trying to claw their way into the starting lineup and beat out the other guy for competition. Um, you know, in other words, the Knicks need to back up four. Would Christian Wood have been a, a better signing? I'm not saying that the Knicks could have had him. I'm sure he had right. no interest in coming to New York and, you know, potentially, you know, sitting on the bench for months at a time. Um, went to L.A., you know, more, you know, uh, obviously A.D. He's not going to, you know, he, he's going to look, look to sit out far more frequently than Julius Randle, et cetera. Um, more minutes, you know, as a backup role. But just as an example, there were other players of similar, uh, not quite as talented as Christian Wood, but uh, certainly capable of contributing on a nightly basis. And just as importantly, believing that they are more than capable of contributing on a nightly basis. So therefore, if they don't play, they're going to bellyache. They're going to complain. They're going to potentially, you know, and, and sometimes that's good. If you have a young developing roster, you yeah. you don't want any, you know, anybody content um, to kind of be in their role. You want to figure out, you know, you have a diamond in the rough, you know, maybe he gets five minutes a game and makes most of it, turns that into 15 etc um with the knicks as currently constituted um you know tibbs let's let's say uh, a little bit stuck in his ways let's just put it that way for better or for worse um he's he, he has a certain way of running things in terms of rotations etc um we, we we essentially know the knicks eight man rotation nine man rotation ten man rotation should they extend it out um should there be injuries they have certain slots to fill so all that being said, there's not much value in terms of on-court value for the 15th player. So so what are you looking for? You're looking for someone who's going to compete hard in practice. You're going to look for somebody who's going to cheer for his teammates. You're looking for someone who's going to be supportive. And uh, this is a an undoubted factor in this decision. Mm-hmm. The guy that's the, the now the face of your franchise is going to be a free agent in two years. So if you if you yeah. if you sign the best man at his wedding or one of the you know one of the the groomsmen at his wedding, that is not a insignificant factor in all this. Yeah. Um, does it mean that the, that 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 Brunson's automatically going to resign and give the Knicks a discount? No, but again, it's about this. The, the the president of basketball operations for the Knicks is an agent who understands very well all the things that go into signing a player, um, comfort level. Uh, you know, his, his, his relationship with the team and the organization and the, and the, and the players. Um, so keeping J- Jalen Brunson happy, keeping Josh Hart, you know, content, even though you locked him into a new deal. Um, it all makes sense in the big picture. Um, I, I'm not at all surprised that they get an unselfish guy that's willing to contribute um, and, and, and just kind of play his role um, as, as kind of an assistant coach and, 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 and the assistant point guard, et cetera. Um, yeah. So yeah, long story short, I'm not shocked that this is, that this deal went down. Yeah. I'm not surprised uh, mostly because as you mentioned, Tibbs is a guy who kind of, as you mentioned, is stuck in his ways, stubborn uh, principles, however you want to put it, maybe some a little nicer, some a little more harsher in terms of how the description is, but all in the same lines that, um, he knows how he wants his team to be run. He knows how he wants his roster to be constructed if he has that um, opportunity. And one thing we know about Tibbs is if Tibbs likes you, you're kind of a Tibbs guy for life. Like he'll always uh, have you in consideration. He'll always uh, give you a spot if there's one available. And it seems to me that Ryan has definitely ingratiated himself into the Tibbs family, I feel. Yep. Like I think this actually may have more to do less to do with even Villanova and more to do with Tibbs and him being like, Hey, I like that this guy was the 15th guy. And we saw, I mean, Ryan was up cheering for the guys all the time. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily Theo Pinson, but he was definitely a guy who cheered for his teammates or was supportive of his teammates on the bench. Um, seemed totally, totally fine with only getting in with one minute left when the Knicks up or down 30 points. So, and what I know Tibbs definitely values, and I would assume is one of the reasons why Ryan Archer Diakono is coming back, is Tibbs values guys who practice well. And you, if you don't practice well, he won't put you on the team, especially a guy who's, you know, trying to basically stick in the NBA. So my assumption is that Ryan Archer Diakono practices uh, extremely well, which is why Tibbs is bringing them back. The Knicks do have a lot of guards, 
So when it comes to the value of having him as a practice player, I kind of question that because you, you got rid of Toppin and added another guard in Dante DiVincenzo. You already have Deuce, JB, IQ, and I mentioned DiVincenzo as your guards. I might have forgotten somebody, but I think that's all of them. So now you add Ryan Archie Jackson today. I don't know how in terms of practice time and scrimmaging. I mean, Ryan's a tough kid. I mean, you watch him play at Villanova. He's kind of like a hard nose, kind of just will do anything kind of guy. But I mean, he's 6'2. He's 6'3. I don't know how much work he's getting with the wing guys and things like that. So that is probably my own only question mark is as good a guy as the team Arch is, is based on the numbers. Is this the right kind of practice player you need? I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, he's going to be one of four or five guys that's going to be fighting for one spot. This is an exhibit nine deal, according to Ian Bagley. So essentially, uh, if he makes a team, then the Knicks will have to give him a one-year deal that's at the vet's minimum. And this is basically a tryout situation. And Ryan will be with Isaiah Roby and some of the other guys that are in the mix for that last spot. And I think it will be curious for me, if Ryan gets that spot, that means those other guys who maybe would make, make more sense from a positional standpoint just didn't, didn't get it done. I'm, I'm very curious about what his chances are of making the team given the number of guards they already have. Well, Roby is actually included in that first 14. So even oh, though he's in the 14. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's a non-guaranteed contract, not necessarily, obviously not guaranteed to make, you know, that there's a kicker that gets right. in should be on the opening day roster. Um, so they could keep Roby and, and Arch for instance. Right. Um, so, and yeah. And the other thing with the practice is it's, it's, it's not as important as it once was, as we've talked about before. There's just, there, you know, you don't have many, many opportunities to practice. There's, you know, there's language right. written in CBA that you, you know, um, uh, we saw the uh, Tyson Chandler, you know, joking about, you know, making Tibbs, making guys run defensive slides after wins and et cetera, stuff like that. Um, so Tibbs will, you know, push things to the, to, you know, out as far as possible. But um, there's just, you know, given the travel schedule um, and and just the, the, the realization, really, you know, again, it's not just that the players are lazy. It's general managers and, and executives and analytics department understand that pushing guys to two hour practices on the, after, a, after a, 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 you know, an overtime game the night before another road trip to, you know, Sacramento, whatever uh, may not be the most, uh, you know, again, that's up to argument. You know, there's, there's no proven data. There's no, you know, there, there, I'm sure there's going to come, a, a coach is going to come along at some point in the near future and kind of flip it on the script and, you know, have guys go, you know, day after day, after day, after day. Um, and, and he'll get some pushback and, you know, we'll see where that goes. But, um, Again, a lot of it's locker room stuff, camaraderie uh, on the plane. There's just value in having a guy that makes other players feel comfortable that the coaching staff is comfortable with. Um, you know, it's it's uh, you know like uh, in environments we all work in. You know, if you if you know if you if you work in a, a an accounting office, nobody wants to be around a guy that's complaining a lot. And I should have got promoted, and I I can't believe I get have to work overtime to get paid. You know, this little amount of yeah. money. Whereas if you have a guy that's just content and happy and, you know, <laughs> yeah. use it, use it as a privilege just to be on the team or on the accounting, you know, departments, uh, you know, salary, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, and I'm sure all that stuff gets factored into those decisions um, when you're trying to fill out a roster. Yeah. Those guys that are on uh training camp exhibit 10 or exhibit nine deals fighting for it, it could be this 15 spot would be arch, Charlie Brown Jr., Dwayne Washington Jr., and Jacob Toppin, Obi Toppin's yes. brother. Yes. So those those guys, is, you know, again, uh, uh, you know, Brown or a Toppin, you think those guys may fit better given the need for the team. Right. But at the same time, again, if this is a 15th guy on the roster, maybe the Knicks would just value a guy who they they know will show up to work on time and control the right things, you know. Exactly. And just one other thing, uh, Arch is on Exhibit 9. The other guys are on Exhibit 10 deals. So there's yes. the, the small difference there is the Exhibit 10 contract, your money gets guaranteed if you play a certain amount of games for the Knicks G League affiliate in Westchester. Um, so that's another reason why. And again, even if there's a um, positional need, the Knicks have those two-way contracts they can use at top and they can bring top and down for a game to play some power forward or, you know, yep. how, however that may play out. So that's why I would um, suggest that it's likely um, that Arch gets that 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 15 spot over those guys based on the contract language um, and, and just the, the ability for the Knicks to send those guys to the G League as opposed to uh, Archie Diakono. Um, 
So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And obviously there's, you know, we still got a couple of weeks before training camp um, yep. even starts. So, you know, there's trade, you know, is Evan Fournier going to come, you know, do they, yeah. you know, does it, does that, does that clear a roster spot? Um, you know, the Knicks will obviously keep an eye on, you know, cause some guys are going to shake loose uh, that the, the OKC still has to cut a couple good players. There'll be some guys that get cut uh, over the next month or so, you know, six weeks uh, before the start of the season that, uh, you know, could be surprising. Yeah, it will be, and the Knicks have shown that they will be very flexible with the last man on the roster spot. I mean, they've yes. done this now for pretty much the entire time Leon has been here. Um, they they will cut guys, they will sign guys, cut guys, and then sign guys back. I mean, they some of the sometimes following who's actually on the Knicks roster, at least on the back end, has been tricky. Like I like I saw Dwayne Washington was there. I wasn't sure because he had been cut yep. at least once, maybe twice. Yep. So uh, sometimes it's hard to know exactly who's on the team, given uh, how they how they they work this. So they they definitely take uh, full advantage of league CBA, full advantage of the roster maneuvering moves. So um, so we'll be curious to see if if Arch ends up making the team because uh, again, talking about adding a Villanova Wildcat, and as you mentioned, a good point about uh, his relationship with with Jalen Brunson, which I didn't know was that strong until we all saw that picture of him being a groomsman. I was like, oh, I didn't know. It was like that. And then uh, DiVincenzo, I think, was a groomsman as well. Uh, we always talk about the Hart and and, and and Brunson relationship. But those other guys now we know are both extremely close to Jalen Brunson as well. So can't hurt to have uh, some friends of your franchise player uh, on the team, as we see with the how, how the Bucks have done, where they just sign every ounce of the Kupo that's available <laughs> in order to keep Giannis happy. Um, so, all right, we're, we're at the kind of – you know, summer is over for most people. Summer, the season is actually, you know, still going on. And it's definitely still the off season, obviously, for the NBA. So I think it's time for uh, another edition of Keeping Up with the Knickerbockers. And uh, the saying, once a Nick, always a Nick, hell is true. Uh, last week, when former Knicks guard Derek Rose got married to longtime partner Elena Anderson, the wedding was officiated by Joe Kim Noah a former Knicks, uh, Knicks player and, of course, a teammate of Derrick Rose on the Chicago Bulls. Also, there was Todd Gibson there who played with D. Rose in Chicago and in New York. And Alec Burks, who, of course, played with Derrick Rose as a teammate with the Knicks. Now, it's unclear how many, if any, current Knicks were there. I, I was scur- you know, scouring the Internet to see if there were any more current Knicks. Uh, I bet almost anything that Tom Thibodeau was probably there. Um, we'll talk about Tom Thibodeau's weekend activities soon as well. But uh, given his relationship with, with Rose, I assume Tibbs was there. But a lot of former Knicks uh, showing up for Derrick Rose in his wedding. Congrats to him. Uh, meanwhile, several Knicks posted pictures of him get, hitting the gym hard, as we always see with these NBA players. So you got Mitch Robinson, who posted on TikTok that he's been in the gym uh, working on post moves, positioning, and free throws was the comment. He responded when uh, asked by a fan what he was working on during his uh, his video he posted from TikTok. Uh, also, you had Emmanuel Quickly getting high praise from celebrity skills trainer Chris Brinkley, who posted a picture of them working together and said, quote, Emmanuel Quickly showed last season he's arguably the best six man in the league. Instant offense, check. Efficient, check. And literally top five in the league on the defensive end, uh, check. Work ethic is 100, which was the emoji that he used. So high praise from Chris Brinkley on Emmanuel Quickly. By the way, I'm happy he mentioned the defensive stuff because that gets lost a lot with Emmanuel Quickly. Sounds like somebody who maybe is trying to help Quickly get this bag that is going to come to him <laughs> one way or another, uh, talking about uh, Quickly's defense there. And then finally, uh, we had some Knicks also doing some champagne in the campaign this weekend, as Jalen Rose would say. So R.J. Barrett. Uh, was a distinguished guest at the Blue Jays game last week as he flashed off the FIBA bronze medal. He got to talk to the broadcast team during the game and talk about the honor it was to uh, win a bronze for Canada, the best basketball performance Canada's national team has had in uh, like 80-plus years. And Tom Thibodeau uh, was joined by ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski at an event to raise money and enthusiasm for a St. Bonaventure NIL collective so the connection there is that Wolves, of course uh went to St. Bonaventure he talks about it all the time uh, but Tom Thibodeau's dad Tom Thibodeau senior also went to St. Bonaventure so I want to start on that one because I'm always trying to piece together like when information drops especially with this team because we everybody knows very little because of how much they don't talk to the media but I'm always trying to piece together like what 
information I'm getting from where when I hear Nick's news, especially from the national reporters. I kind of I am taking a little bit of something from Tibbs and Woj uh, being at this thing, other than the fact that, of course, they have a connection with the St. Bonaventure thing. But it does make me wonder if we hear this news about the Knicks. We've heard the Knicks, you know, Woj said the Knicks were interested in Chris Paul, uh, the Harden thing, which seemed a little weird. It does make me wonder if there's maybe there is some kind of tie with him and Tibbs. And that could be something where when we get information on the Knicks that uh, Woj may have an inside track on that uh, lane. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Um, I think it's a lot of it's that St. Bonaventure stuff. Um, Tibbs is, uh, Woj rather, is an outspoken supporter of uh, yes. his alma mater. So, so credit to him for that. And, he, you know, at, at every at any turn, um, he's always looking to uh, hype that up a little bit. And there's that connection there with the, with the Tibbs, Thibodeau family. Um, so, yeah, but it is something to keep in mind if we, uh, you know, if the story comes down the pike and we have to learn one side of the, the story and the other side of the story. Um, it's it's worth filing that away as uh, some potential information source. Yeah, I definitely think it, it is. And look, I will say this. If you're saying buying venture and trying to raise NIL money, I mean, it's pretty good get to have Tom Thibodeau and Adrian Wojnarowski in the fold. I mean, you know, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski's relationship to agents and players, you would assume that that, you know, could then attract uh, recruits who may want to you know, go to St. Bonaventure. It's not necessarily a, a, a recruiting haven or a basketball, you know, superpower. So uh, it's probably a good get for St. Bonaventure to have Woj and Tibbs in the fold. So we've had plenty of Knicks weddings this offseason. So we've had Isaiah Hardenstein. We've had Jalen Brunson. And now we had, uh, again, I'm going to call a sort of wedding, a pseudo wedding, a Knicks wedding with Derrick Rose, who um, – Obviously, he's not Nick anymore, but he did propose to Elena uh, at Madison Square Garden, which seemed like a pretty cool proposal. So we've seen the guests at these things. Uh, we've seen the setups of the three weddings. Which one do you think you prefer to go to the most? I think I got to go to Brunson wedding. You know, just okay. the most current Knicks there to see the face of the franchise, tie the knots um, with his high school girlfriend. And it, it, we, I'm sure all the weddings were fantastic and, uh, you know, and then had their fair share of fun. Uh, but we have video proof of uh, dance floor activities for, for, for current and former Knicks. And um, Leon Rose in the house, get the hobnob with him and the, the head coach Tibbs and then all those guys. So I, I think I'd lean towards the, the JB wedding. Yeah, I think it's so funny because on the one side, like the, the, the JV wedding is interesting because the JV wedding is definitely the wedding where you're like, oh, there's people I like there, but then there's people I really don't want to deal with that are there, you know, because you got Nibs <laughs> there, um, you got Randall there, and I'm like, oh, do I want to, like, you know, if it was me, <laughs> like, like if me as a person, if I was just a regular guy who didn't care about the Knicks or wasn't like a guy who talks about this team, maybe I would say, oh, yeah, I would go to that one. Part of me is, oh, man, I got to run into these guys, like these guys heard me ranting about them. Would they give me a side eye or whatever? I don't know. So part of me would be like, ah, oh, maybe the JV wedding wouldn't be as 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 safe for me. But um, that is definitely the most star-studded wedding of them. So it's like going to a wedding like with your parents and your parents' friends you can't really let loose, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Some of the, some of these people there, they might have some stuff on me now if I, <laughs> if I do too much. So I, I might want to keep it away. I'll tell you what. I feel like – I, yeah, I said it. I said it at the time. I feel like the iHeart wedding didn't get enough love. I mean, it was like on. Yeah. It wasn't on the beach, but it was like there was a beach background. It's in California. Weather beautiful. I mean, that seemed like a pretty decent shindig as well. The rose. I was trying to figure out where the rose wedding was. It was hard for me to tell. I haven't seen anything online. I couldn't tell what the location was. Um, a lot of Chicago Bulls. So I don't know if I would have taken the 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 rose bait as much as I love the rose. Um, Noah was a terrible Nick. Uh, Todd Gibson, of course, was a, you know a Nick who's good, you know, good, good guy, great locker room guy, good leader. Um, and Alec Burks, did, of course, did his thing as well. But uh, I think I would still be leaning towards the the first two guys. I guess I, I would probably do Brunson, but I would I would second guess and think, man, a weekend in California, uh, Southern California, wouldn't be too bad uh, at at iHeart wedding. So um, definitely, congrats to all the guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, so definitely congrats to all the guys and, and, and their wives uh, and many happy years moving forward for them. And then uh, finally, we got the workout stuff. So, you know, Mitchell Robinson, I thought him, you know, he's very he's very much a social media guy. Like he, he, he responds to people. Sometimes he 
does things that probably are ill-advised on social media. Uh, but here, when he posted himself working out on TikTok, he then commented to a fan that he is working on, um, as I mentioned, uh, positioning, post moves, and free throws. I, I think this is actually something. I don't think that this is nothing for me, only because we've seen Mitchell Robinson workouts in the past, and we've seen Nick fans actually go after his workout trainer in the past because we've seen Mitchell Robinson shooting threes, doing between-the-leg dribbles and stuff. And, and I think that there is something to having those kind of ball skills and then that helping you being comfortable on the court regardless of whatever situation you're throwing in. So I don't want to say that that's nothing. But sometimes we've seen that almost seem like the focus of his game and him almost trying to say, look, we'll come next year when I start shooting threes. When we know that there's there's no way we'd ever want to see Mitchell Robinson shooting threes or trying to isolate uh, on the perimeter. So the fact that he's working on these very specific things that he needs to work on, like he needs to be a threat around the basket. So if he can add a drop step, add a hook shot, that could help him. It's not like we run a, a great post-up plays for him, but there are times where he's going to have mismatches. They're going to throw him the ball. He's got to be able to do something other than dunk or just get clobbered so he gets fouled and goes to the free throw line. Speaking on the free throws, of course, he needs to improve that free throw percentage. I was thinking, it's crazy. I'm, uh, you know you're a crazy Nick fan. You start dreaming about this team. But I actually had a dream that I was being interviewed about Mitchell Robinson, and they were asking me, like, what percentage does Mitch have to shoot this season for it to be, like, a success for him? And for me, I mean, I got to see him shoot 60%. Like, that, like he's, that's got to be his That's got to be his goal. Like, he, like, I can't imagine or assume that he's going to be an automatic guy at the line. That's, that's never going to happen. But this was a guy that did used to shoot 60-plus percent from the free throw line earlier in his career. He's kind of gone completely by the wayside the last few years. But if he can get to 60 and just make some teams pay for hacking a Mitch or when they just clobber him under the basket so they don't let him finish or he can finish him and once, that would go a long way. And then positioning again, that's talking about the fundamentals of the game, fundamentals of his position, whether it's defense, whether it's offense. Um, we know he's an excellent offensive rebounder. So um, the fact that he actually mentioned that these are the things he's working on, he's not working on threes or something else, I think is a good sign for Mitch. Let's see if the proof is in the pudding. You know, it's, I, mm-hmm. I think somebody got in his ear and said, listen, we don't don't post videos of you shooting threes in between. You can do yeah. all that stuff. Knock yourself out. You know, however you want to stay in shape, if that yeah. is better, if that your form of cardio, awesome. You know, uh, it can't certainly cannot hurt. Uh, working on your handle and, and you know, and, and catching passes, et cetera, all that stuff. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. But yeah. what you can't do that and then shoot 48%, you know, some 50% three seasons in a row. Um, and look worse, essentially, year after year after year. And yep. to your point, 60% is a good number. Um, it's what he shot his his, his um, uh, rookie season on, like, 135 attempts, 140 attempts. So it was on a yeah. small sample size. Um the it just and that's one of those things where you know it, it that that you can work on and come into a season looking complete. You know you can rework your free throw straight. You know, the, the the his the the um, how flat his shot is 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 amazing. Um, again, you know we we've seen the, the 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 that Korean league where they're shooting off the backboard and like eight of the top ten free throw shooters are shooting eighty percent. Um, you know do these players today don't want to shoot underhand? I get it, I guess you know. But again, mm-hmm. if you can make a hundred million dollars by you know working on a sky hook and shooting underhand and making 75 yeah. percent of your free throws um you'd think somebody would would give it a shot but you know they, they refuse to do so either which way get with somebody that's going to improve your and then go on social media and show yourself shooting 50 free throws and making 40 you know something along those lines or just show yourself with an improved free throw stroke greater arc you understand that yeah. the, the, the you know because these are not you know advanced you know shooting analytics yeah you know, um, these are just stuff that, 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 uh, you know, eighth grade coaches, you know, could, could implement. Um, so in the summer is the time that you can do it. It's hard to do it during the season, but if you spend a month taking a thousand free throws a day and, you know, first you make, you know, 40%, then you make 55%, then you make, you should be able to make 75% of your free throws in a gym. Um, you know, you should, and, and you can see it, even the ones you miss, they, you know, it's front rim, but then you, you get a friendly yeah. roll. Um, as opposed to just completely flat, just change the arc on your shot, change the, the the mechanics of your free throw. That's the one thing that can really significantly, dramatically uh, improve uh, Mitchell Robinson's, you know, because all the other stuff is a lot of 
its effort and, uh, you know, yeah. offensive rebounding and using his size and his strength and his athleticism. Um, you know, he, he still made a really positive impact, but that's the, that's the place where he can kind of take his game to the next level. And if you want more offensive opportunities, show folks that when you get, you know, to the free throw line, uh, that you know, when they throw you lobs and you get fouled, it's not, you know, over two, it's at least one of two and we'll get a point on that position. It just it feels like Mitchell Robinson has the opportunity to really jump into that upper, not upper, but like that next echelon of of big man, wherever he is, wherever you rank him. It feels like when last last few years you had injuries, you had him gaining too much weight and getting too muscular, then having to lose weight to get in shape. It just feels like a lot of the issues that have kind of played Mitchell Robinson and not allowed him to kind of play at the, the at, at an elite level or elite level for him, a lot of those are gone. And I think we saw that kind of culminate in how he played against Cleveland, where he absolutely dominated two bigs that people look at as, you know, two of the premier young bigs in the league, Evan Mobley, uh, uh, Jared Allen. These are guys people think extremely highly, highly of in the NBA. And Mitchell Robinson was able to basically erase those guys yeah. for five games. And and if if Mitch can, can, can get this free throw thing, out of the way where again i'm not saying he's got to shoot 75 percent. that's not going to happen right. if he can make 60 percent of his free throws all the other stuff that we're talking about his elite offense rebounding we know how he is as a defensive anchor it feels like mr robinson can really kind of establish himself as one of the better bigs in the nba but this is like the one thing that's really kind of i think now holding him back because all the other stuff is gone i don't really have those yeah. super injury concerns i know he played you know only 59 games last year but again i think in this today's NBA, for a guy his size, you got to just pencil him for 60 and hope that nothing catastrophic happens. He gives you that. He gives you his defense, his rim protection, his offensive rebounding, which he arguably may be the best offensive rebound in the league. He has four and a half offensive rebounds a game last year, which is absurd. Like, there's no reason why he shouldn't be one of the top six centers in the East. I mean, like, like, like if he's not there already, five. Like, I mean, he, he should be right up there. But I think that this is like, one of the things that's holding him back, you know, even the fouls. Remember, he used to foul yes, out all yes. the time and foul people left and right. Even that kind of went by the wayside. He only averaged two point seven fouls a game last year, so this is the only thing that's holding him back. So, uh, Mitch, if he wants to get to that next level, this is this is what he's got to do. He's got to get to that sixty uh, percent mark on the free throws. So, I just called up his basketball reference page. Yeah. Um, over the last two years, he's attempted 303 free throws and made 147. That's 48.5%. So, just some quick math. If he makes 60%, um, that's 180 free throws. So that's like an extra 40 points. Oh, you know, that, that those, that adds up over the course of the season. Over the yeah, course I think how many Knicks games that they lost by two, three, four points. Like, and if he wants to stay on the floor, him. if he wants to stay on the floor late in games, you know, teams are going to start. Pack a Mitch, you know, we, we saw teams kind of experimented with a little bit here and there. Um, but it's only going to continue if he gets more dominant on the defensive yeah. end. And you know how amazing he is, is on the offensive glass. Um, so again, those are that's one of those things. There's not much, you know, you can't work, you can't grow three inches in the summer for some players that are <laughs> undersized. You know, you if you're a 37% three-point shooter, it's hard to get to be a 40, you know, or 33% three-point shooter, it's hard to get to be a 39% free th three-point shooter. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, but free throw shooting is the one thing you would think that you can work consistently on. Um, it's it's obviously there's a mental component to it. Um, speak to a sports psychologist. There's just a lot of stuff there um, that you would think would be able to uh, you know you know make a, a come into camp um, with the with we should when he when he gets fouled in his first preseason game. Let's hope we see a different free throw stroke. That's that's kind of you know what you got to hope for at this point. Yeah, I think that's what we're all hoping for. As you mentioned, it, it could you know a twelve year old can see what's wrong with Mitchell Robinson's free throws. Yeah. I know some of us we all try to be shot doctor with RJ Barrett's threes. That's a little harder mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. Mitch. I mean you're seeing the ball basically go on a on a beeline for the front yeah. of the rim. Sometimes yeah. not even getting above the front of the rim. And yep. you know he's just got to get more arc on yep. the shot. So uh I want to end the show here with I thought was interesting conversation. So again, as you know, we love talking about mix of the past. And the Knicks just this past season won a playoff series for the first time in a decade. Uh, uh, but one of the stars from the 2013 team that actually had won a playoff series in the past says that they should have advanced much further in 2013. So this was Tyson Chandler, who was on the All the Smoke podcast with 
Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes for Showtime Sports, uh, where they discussed that 54 win Knicks team led by Carmelo Anthony, Jarrah Smith, and Jason Kidd. And he says uh, they had all the tools to win it all, but got complacent at the worst time. I want you guys to hear Tyson Chandler's explanation on what happened. With all that talent, why didn't it work? That was a hell of a team. It was. Uh, we allowed the success that we had get to us. And we was in chill mode. Like, you got complacent? Yeah, like as if we had done something. Uh, and I remember me and Jason was just coming off of the championship from Dallas. And then Jason came. So two years later, uh, we were both trying to like speak it into existence, different part of the locker room. So Jason would take certain tasks. I would take certain tasks. And we were rolling. Uh, and then up until the playoffs, for some we won the first series, and then we got laxed. So we played the Boston series. We should have swept them. Indiana Pacers had wrapped up their series. If we say we should have won five, and then we would have, we both would have had just say three or four days of rest or whatever, mm-hmm. and then played. We had to play an extra game. So then we finished on Friday, and then game one of the playoffs for the next series was on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was an early game, and we didn't have a, a shoot around. So they, they canceled shoot around, um, which me and Jay like, wait, no, 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 no. Like we, we got, we're going to another series. Like we got to prepare for this team. So Indiana comes in and sneaks game one. So now we behind the eight ball. We win game two. We go to back to Indiana one, one, they blitzed us. So we come back to New York down three, one. Mm. We win the game in New York. So now we take it back and then they, they ended the series mm-hmm. in Indiana, and then that was that. Mm-hmm. I really honestly feel like how we got past that, I, I, I feel like we we probably, we, we had a legitimate shot to win the chip. That was, Miami was trying to go for the back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I really feel like we would have beat them that year. Mm-hmm. So a lot from Chandler there. One, um, saying that essentially... Uh, them messing around with Boston led them extending the series, which meant less rest for them going into the uh, Indiana series again. If you guys remember, uh, this up 3 0 when um, JR <laughs> Smith inexplicably elbowed Jason Terry in the head, which got him suspended for game four. Knicks lose game four, come back to game five in, in New York, inexplicably with JR back, lose game five against a Boston team that looked dead in the water. They didn't uh, beat the Celtics in game six but of course that meant shorter rest for the indiana series indiana taking care of their opponent pretty quickly in the first round so that i think kind of let them by the put them on the eight ball by by tyson chandler's marks and he actually uh kind of criticizes then head coach mike woodson his decision to basically not hold a shoot around practice prior to that series against indiana indiana won game one at home which kind of put them on track to uh, the win that series and Nick beat the Knicks in six games. And he says that he thinks the Knicks would have beat the heat if they got past Miami. The Knicks actually played very well. Cause he, I think they won three out of four games against that heat team that went on to win the championship. So your thoughts on uh Tyson Chandler's assessment. Do you, do you, do you buy his rationale for why that Knicks team came up short? Yeah, I think, well, first and foremost, I think saying that they would have beat the heat is a, is a bit of a stretch um really you know, yeah yeah i mean to be to be fair to hit to for his argument the the pacers did take that heat team to seven, seven games, games yeah you know so it wasn't like it was a blowout i just you know you just think of uh you know bosh and wade and lebron and those guys um and they would obviously go on to beat the spurs um you know with gray allen playing a huge huge role as well um but yeah I, there's there's no doubt that that uh you know and that and that's kind of the things that uh, you know that that we've talked about before though in terms of you know taking care of business when you can take care of it um how important it is those extra rest days and um being preparing yeah. for you know for your for the for the next series etc um those are stuff that that all plays a part so it's it, it's always interesting i think one of the cool things about this you know kind of new media landscape is we get a lot more honest forthright opinions from players when yeah. they're talking to other players um because tyson Taylor's probably not going to hop on a podcast with another media member um and even if he's on the podcast um probably uh you know because he doesn't have a relationship with those guys um with you know is is, is not going to be quite as honest and uh you know it's as, as he was uh with so i will say tyson we're cool media guys if you want to come on yeah, 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 yeah. Bus, talk about your time with the knicks and talk to me and, and have me explain why I drafted you to Team EJ. <laughs> then you should come on Orange and Blue Bloods. Just say. Right. 
but but we have seen a lot of this stuff like this summer. Um, and you know, some, yeah, some of it's, sure. you know, gets, uh, it, it, you can debate whether it's good or not. You know, you get Gilbert arenas giving hot takes, et cetera, and, and, <laughs> and, and those types of things. Um, but I think for the most part, um, you know, uh, JJ Reddick's pot, you know, the, the, you know, him talking to current yeah. players, former players. Uh, I mean, I thought know. Paul George's conversation with yep. Julius Randall was extremely good. Yep. Um, and yep. for someone, Julius Randall's, even when he has talked to me, he's, a, he seems to be a kind of a quiet guy. So right. I don't think anybody really knows how Julius Randall is and right. I, I think that that actually ended up being very informative for me and i think a lot of the fans who listened it just not just learned about his time in the knicks but also like his journey through high school and you know at kentucky i think is important considering it's just with worldwide west and 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 leon kind of start there so yeah these these player podcasts i think are they definitely serve a a a positive purpose um in the media landscape for sure especially with the nba guys yeah, and especially with the Knicks guys, because if yeah. you're if you're gonna look up the set of a long form interview with Julius Randle, Knicks are gonna shoot you down. They're gonna make it as difficult as possible. They're gonna limit mm-hmm. the time. They're not gonna likely not gonna let you get a one on one, et cetera, and probably kind of dissuade Randall from speaking, even if he wants to, you know, get you know get his side of the story or you know talk about his children and his wife and how important they are. You know, things that would endear him to the fan base and you know think yeah. would benefit the the team and the organization and the player and the brand and yada yada. Yada, yada but this was probably one of those things where you know paul george texted him and said yeah i'm, I'm free on thursday let me stop by you know that that type of thing so yeah um you know that's uh that that's the one benefit i think from this stuff yeah those guys are both ca guys i got the impression those guys are actually pretty well they are good friends i think yeah. julius randall said that you know when he broke his leg the first game of the season the first game of his career the lakers he actually talk to poor George a lot about like the rehab that takes right. to come back from that. So that's where that relationship was formed uh, on the Chandler thing. So I, one thing I will say, I think you're right about is I actually found it very fascinating how he broke down the time, the timeline of like what happens when you win a series and you're playing against the next team, because like he, he gives obviously his opinion and him, I guess was Jason Kidd's opinion, which I know for a fact was definitely Jason Kidd's opinion. Cause we know Jason Kidd's a head coach. It's extremely yep. intense when it comes to practices yep. and things like that. He once, uh, with the Bucks, uh, didn't allow his team to have, uh, you know, Christmas with their family, Christmas Eve with their family, because they lost a game in embarrassing fashion on December 23rd and said, you know what? Screw your holidays. Screw your, you know, vacation plans. We're having practice tomorrow, which was to much of the chagrin of that Bucks roster, probably was the beginning of the end for him as the Bucks head coach. But um, but they're saying, hey, we, we need to have a shoot around that next day. But I mean, really think about this. This is a team, it's not a far trip, but this team played a night game in Boston on Friday, a tough game. They they were up by a lot of points, but the Celtics trying to make a fake comeback to kind of make it interesting. A tough physical game six where Boston's trying to hang on to survive and, and can advance and continue the series. You win that game. Mike, what's that's a decision? Like this is a uh, you had J.R. Smith playing on a torn meniscus. We learned uh, at the end of the season. You got other guys that you know are definitely beat up. Do you do you hold a shoot around at noon or two a two p.m. the next day? You probably get in to New York probably one two three. You guys are hitting their best two three o'clock in the morning to then go then play a day game the next day, or do you value rest and time away to kind of recharge and get ready for the next series? That's like, I don't know if there's a right answer to that. It's easy, like, for me, for this to be, oh, like, yeah, they definitely just, you know, were lazy and they didn't think. But I, th- I think Mike Woodson had a real choice there. And I don't – it may have been the wrong one. Like, I'm not saying that, like, he 100% was right on that. But that is a decision. That's not just, oh, I'm just going to give you guys time because whatever, we won a series, let's celebrate, and who cares about the Pacers. I think that that's a real dilemma that NBA teams and big coaches deal with. And it's very interesting to see how these decisions are made, you know, it's unfortunate that we had, uh, you know, I, I love the show Winning Time on HBO. It just got canceled, we learned, last night, which is an absolute shame because it's. I think it's a brilliant show. But some of these little uh, these little things we learn about these NBA teams and, and, and how they work, like these are little things that we don't really think about. So I thought even just that alone was an interesting just kind of conversation and comment by Chandler about that decision. I, I don't necessarily agree with his assessment that they got laxed. Um, I think that, A, I think the Knicks struggled. He, I think he struggled individually with his matchup with Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert dominated him much of that series. Uh, I think you had, again, as I mentioned, Jarrett Smith playing on a torn meniscus. That didn't help as well. I think mentally he's also kind of just got lost after that whole suspension deal. 
Uh, I think that those probably were bigger factors in them not making it. And then Jason Kidd, like, could he didn't make a shot for like a month. Like, at the end of the day, I think that Knicks team kind of just ran out of steam and ran out of gas and just ran out of time. I do think that had the earlier version of that Knicks team got to see the Miami Heat, that they would have had a great chance to beat them. And I said that at the time. I've always believed that. That Knicks team played extremely confidently against them. Uh, the, Carmelo had a 50-point game on all jump shots during that season against the Miami Heat. They like for whatever reason they played up for those heat games. And beating them in a seven-game series is a whole different ball game. But as you saw, the Pacers, who were not as talented as the Knicks team, gave the Heat all they can handle. I think that the Knicks, that team is one of my you always have your irrational beliefs as a T fan of a certain team. And that's one of them. I have one of them saying, as I said before on the show, that Jeremy Lynn would maybe, you know, would have been a franchise point guard had he stayed with the Knicks. The other one is I think the Knicks absolutely had a shot to beat the Heat that season. Yeah, definitely would have been interesting. Would have been fun series, that's for sure. Oh yeah, um, you know, look. It would have been the only series really where I know they, you know, they had played the Heat maybe the year prior, but it would have been the only time I think where you would have saw Melo versus LeBron yeah. in a playoff series where it felt like kind of even. Obviously, Heat, you know, had the two Hall of Famers on their team, so they had great players. But that would have been the first time where you say, okay, like Melo versus LeBron and both teams are really good. The two of the best teams, they were the two best teams in East that year. Like that would have been like we were robbed of that match. We never saw them in the finals when Melo was in Denver and LeBron was in Cleveland or Miami. Um, and then of course, you know, when they played in the playoffs, you know, Meyer Steinmeier, you know, punched a fire extinguisher and the Knicks were just kind of crawling to the playoffs that year. They were not the team uh that was gonna be able to compete with the Heat. So like we were robbed of that, and it's unfortunate, you know. But I, I think a lot of you know, some of Chandler saying this, I think, is him kind of absolving himself of blame. I mean, this guy was the reigning defensive player of the year and an all-star. That season, the only all-star team he made. And, um, again, he he, he he let a guy who was very inferior to him uh, dominate him for much of that series, which was a big reason why they didn't win. And you talk about the difference between today's NBA and even just – that's just a decade ago. Roy Hibbert would essentially be unplayable in today's NBA. And he was a huge factor in that series. So Tyson probably – you know, should accept some responsibility there as well. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I mean, you got a guy like Hibbert, as you mentioned, completely unplayable in today's NBA. Crazy. Like Tyson Chandler would still play in the NBA. Yes. Tyson Chandler yes. was actually <laughs> very similar to Mr. Robinson, but like a yep. very good free throw shooter, which is kind of crazy. Yes. He shot like 80%. Um, yeah. Even though he never took jump shots. He's a good free throw shooter, an absolute elite defensive uh, anchor, great guy in terms of a lob guy and a rim runner and an and a, and a uh you know, uh, alley-oop t- threat. I mean, Tyson Chandler would absolutely still play in the NBA and be fine. But then again, a guy where Hibbert could not play in today's NBA. They would run pick and rolls at, at yeah. Hibbert all day long and, and run them off the floor. Yeah. But yeah, that next team. And, and the last thing on this too, I think the Chandler harping on the complacency thing. I don't. I think it's coming from a place that's not like inaccurate. I think that the next season, I think they came in one hundred percent complacent. Yeah, because that was a Knicks team that did not make the playoffs after winning fifty four games. They got yeah. off to this absolutely wretched start where they might have been like four and twelve, four and thirteen, something crazy, where they just couldn't win a game. It was crazy, right. and I think that that definitely was a team that came in complacent, given what they had done the previous year. And I think that that he's maybe kind of conflating that season, that twenty fourteen season, with how they ended 2013 where that was a team where, you know, kid was shot. Jared Smith had a bum knee and, um, and, and they legitimately, I thought ran out of gas. They were an old team. They might've been the oldest team in the NBA that season. Yeah. Um, so it, it was, it was a true, we talked about, you know, this jets uh, team we have in New York city that, you know, a two championship robust team that, you know, now is lamenting the fact that they don't have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that to me, Nick's team was a true championship robust team. They went all in, on older guys, older vets, Kenyon Martin, Rasheed Wallace was on the team. Kurt Thomas got some minutes that season. I mean, they went all in on old vets and, and, and Carmelo Anthony basically and saying, hey, could we piece together a team that could make a run? And it, it, the team, they were, they were the Knicks tape, as we called them back then, and and they, they definitely resonated with the fans. But for some reason, I think there's a lot of disappointment when we think about them because we think they should have went further. Unlike this team from last season, where I think a lot of people yeah. look at them in a, a much different light. True. A lot of it's, you know, perspective coming into the, you know, opinion coming into the season, et cetera. And just looking at it, it's wild that that, you know, you talk about that team going from 54 to 37 wins. No, the Knicks haven't had a team finish above 500 in consecutive seasons other than the lockout year. Um 
Mm. And they went 42 and 40, and then 36 and 30, and then obviously 54 win team. But this Knicks team could be the first team to win, more, let's call it more than 42 wins in consecutive seasons for the first time since 1999, 2000, and 2000, 2001, which is which is crazy. Yeah, I think that this that Knicks team is, a, is in some ways a cautionary tale for yeah. this Knicks team. You know, like we and that is one of the reasons that I think some Knicks fans are kind of like skittish about how to feel about what yep. this Knicks team is going to do this season because we've been here before. We've seen the team uh, make great strides, win a playoff series. You think, okay, next season is guaranteed that you're going to be uh, making a run, and it doesn't happen. So I think that that's going to be uh, something that, that this current Knicks will have to follow. But shout out to Tyson Chandler for his candidacy and candidacy, and if that if that's the word even. And also, again, if you want to talk Knicks basketball, Orange and Blue Bloods, love to hear talk, love to talk more about your time as a New York Nick. Um, so I want to wrap the show here before we leave, though. Um, a lot of the Knicks community, the basketball community, the NBA as large is mourning the passing of Dennis D'Augustino. Um, he was a team historian, a PR person for the team for a long time. Um, a lot of people who have been around the Knicks have talked about his impact on them. I saw Alan Hahn post something. I saw Jay Horowitz, who's actually is a Mets PR guy, post something as well because he's a big Mets fan. So uh, the Knicks have released a statement saying the Knicks are deeply saddened to learn of the passing of team historian Dennis D'Agostino. Dennis passionately and masterfully chronicled the story of our organization for more than three decades. As a native New Yorker, he offered an artistic reverence to communicating the Knicks legacy to our loyal fan base like no one else could. Our thoughts are with his loved ones during this difficult time. Um, so again, Dennis D'Agostino passing away, Knicks team, uh, historian, uh, PR person. He also, uh, the NBA actually also released a statement saying, uh, Dennis D'Agostino was uh, the quintessential public relations expert and a beloved member of the NBA family. He served Knicks with distinction for 36 seasons, most recently as a team historian and a prolific writer. Dennis also enhanced a national broadcast of both the NBA and Major League Baseball with its impeccable work as a statistician. His genial, gregarious personal, uh, presence made him a joy to be around and an invaluable resource to the league office. The NBA sends the deepest condolences to his wife, Helen, Helen, and their family, the Knicks organization, and all who knew and loved him. So uh, rest in peace to Dennis D'Agostino. Um, and that'll do it for this edition of Orange Blue Bloods. Thank you guys again so much. For checking us out of course if you enjoyed this podcast you can catch all of our shows um wherever you get your podcast including the free odyssey app hit the auto download feature on your streaming service hit this episode every time we drop also be sure to check us out on youtube as well we can find us on the wfn channel tommy let people know they can find you at tommy beer on twitter find me ej underscore stewart on twitter action ej on instagram tiktok and threads thank you guys again so much for checking us out Tommy, I'm EJ. Take these guys.